0: Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You'll find the uh, insert in the bulletin. And while you're turning there, I want to wish you all a happy new year and bring up a, a question to consider that I think is, is quite appropriate and fitting for the new year. What, what's the thing most commonly... A... You may actually want to leave that down because we're going to sing a song after the message. Um, but whatever. Um, Laughter to consider a question that I think is very appropriate with the New Year, what, what, what activity, what thing that people do is most associated with the New Year? Probably, um, number one, hands down, the making of resolutions. And we all know how that goes. You resolve to do things, and about two weeks in, you don't. And is that just me, Deb? Or? Okay. Um, and when you think about resolutions, it's part of looking at your life, ordering your life, and realizing there are certain things out of order in your life, and then making a resolution to put those things back in order. Certain things that have a priority or are not given enough attention. Certain things are given too much priority. And, and so people take stock of their life frequently for the new year and try to order that, and out of that come resolutions. Um, that whole notion of ordering assumes the question of priority. And so as we order our lives, as we look to the year 2017... Um, I want to ask a question: What what is the most important principle to order our lives around? If, if if you had to boil down the the necessary things in life to to one top pinnacle thing, what would that be? Now, for the unbeliever, the answer is simple: it's it's paying heed to trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I was talking to one of my children um, just yesterday about this. There's no matter of greater importance and to think through, work through, um, come to grips with your own sinfulness, the fact that you, you, you cannot save yourself, you need to trust another, you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to, to die for you, to be raised for you, to be your righteousness, to be your Savior. Without a doubt, that, that's the most important principle. If you're talking to an unbeliever, make the time for that. All other things can be put aside. We get that. But for the Christian... I want to ask this morning: What is the most important thing? What, what is the one? If there's one thing that's necessary, what is that? And we could probably think of different answers. And I want to just have you for a moment think what that answer might be. And I think some people might say evangelism, or, or your marriage and your family, um, and others might might say other things. You know, being a good witness in the workplace. Um, these are all good things. But what's the one central, and most important thing? And this morning's text, I think, gives a clear answer to that. Um, the Lord Jesus is going to, from His own lips, give us that answer. This is an answer that's uniform throughout Scripture. Um, King David in Psalm 27 says this, One thing I have asked the Lord. He can, he can narrow down all of his desires, all of his petitions, all of his requests to one thing. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. So Paul can boil down his ministry and work to one thing. And here, in Luke chapter 10, verses 38-42, to we're going to learn what that one thing is and I think be challenged about the way we're ordering our lives. And And I hope as you listen to this, that you'd evaluate, is my life ordered around the most important thing or to put it another way if someone were to watch my life and if someone were aware of how i spent my time and how i spent my money and how i spent my thought life what would they conclude is the central and most important thing for me anyway let's begin by reading luke chapter 10 38 to 42 now as they went on their way jesus entered a village but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Four simple verses, probably a well-known passage, and yet Luke's positioning of it here at the end of chapter 10 and what he intends for Theophilus, what he intends for us to draw from it, I think is profound. So let's, let's begin by setting the context as we dive in looking at this at three points. Jesus, we're told at the beginning in verse 38, is going on His way. On His way where? We'll turn back to chapter 9. And as you remember, chapter 9 in verse 51 was a pivot point in the book. Up until then, we'd we'd had the birth prologue announcements, the birth announcements, and then starting in chapter 4, Jesus shows up on the scene and we look at His ministry from 4 all the way through 9, centering around Galilee, with an emphasis on miracles, with an emphasis on determining who is this. And the answer that that Peter gives, you're the Christ of God, is correct. The the answer that God the Father gives, this is my son, my servant, the one to whom you're to listen. And so in many respects, I, I view the first nine chapters as Luke establishing with certainty the identity of Jesus. Well, now in this next section, Keyed by verse 51 of chapter 9, which says, when the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. And then two verses later, He repeats it, but the people in Samaria did not receive Him because His face was set towards Jerusalem. Up on the mountain, when Jesus was transfigured, Moses and Elijah appeared to Him and talked to Him about His crucifixion. Talked to Him literally about the exodus he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes down from that mountain intent, focused, on task. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And so from now all the way through chapter 19 is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And it's, it's striking that Luke spends the most time over a relatively short period of time. T- ten whole chapters devoted to what probably is a six-month journey to Jerusalem. And we learned in chapter 10 that as he's set his face to go to Jerusalem, he first sends out the advance team. 72 disciples in pairs. 36 groups going out. And if you look there in chapter 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And then they return and they give the report. And then we saw the, the, the lawyer stand up and literally in the text almost interrupt. And behold, the lawyer stands up. This is now our first time since Jesus sent out the advance team that He actually moves. And so when He went on His way, the assumption is He went on His way to Jerusalem. He went on His way where the 72 had gone ahead of Him. And He entered a village. We don't know what the name of the village was. And in that village, we're told, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary. And a lot of speculation, is this the same Mary and Martha from John 11 and 12? It might be. It might not be. If this is the same Mary and Martha from John chapter 11 and chapter 12, then either Jesus is in Bethany, which is very near Jerusalem, and and Luke has taken his narrative and his order and taken it out of order, which is possible. He doesn't say then what happened next and what happened next. He just said that Jesus went on his way. That's that's one possibility. If this is the same Mary and Martha who also have a brother named Lazarus, it's possible we know they had some wealth, that they owned multiple homes. It's also possible this is a different Mary and Martha. Luke simply doesn't tell us. He doesn't make any connection to to John's Gospel. John's Gospel almost certainly not written by this point. But in the text, it certainly looks like this is is a new meeting or something like that. He just introduces her a certain woman. There was a certain woman in the town, in the Greek, literally, named Martha. And so what I'm assuming is something like this. Jesus sent the, the, the pairs, the 36 pairs out, and they went out to all the towns he was about to enter into. And then he himself heads out. And I'm presuming that this is one of those towns where one of those pairs of disciples went. And just as Jesus said, how they treat you is how they'll treat me. Presumably, we're seeing some of the fruit, the positive fruit of their ministry. And so what started at the beginning of chapter 10, the sending out of pairs we're now seeing some result. Somebody welcomes Jesus into their home, which is exactly how Jesus told the disciples they'd be able to evaluate their reception. Were they received into someone's home? Did they receive hospitality or were they rejected? Well, here in this town, this woman welcomes Jesus into her home. And so we're seeing already, I believe, some of the fruit of the ministry of the 35. And this is Martha's home, which suggests either that she's a widow or unmarried. Um, it's possible she is married and her husband's away, but she's doing the, the, the uh, responsibilities and the hospitality of the host, which suggests she doesn't have a husband or if she does, he's not there. Um, in, and if this is the same Mary and Martha who have the brother Lazarus, who would suggest he's not there. And she welcomes Jesus into him. This is good. And these are people who've come to faith in Jesus. You'll notice the language, Lord, Lord, Lord. As I was asking you earlier to consider what's most important for the Christian, this isn't about people coming to faith in salvation. This is about people who are already calling Jesus Lord. This is about the priority for the Christian. What, what is most important? And so Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. And then the word there is is, is a superlative form of welcome. She gives him a tremendous welcome over and above welcome. She, she really welcomes him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And so now the, the, this story is set. Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. She has a sister, and we learn what the two of them are doing. Mary, on the one hand, sat at the Lord's feet, hearing His word. The ESV is the word there for teaching. It's just it's just the word for Jesus' speech. It's not necessary that Jesus was actively teaching a lesson, but she's sitting at His feet, alongside of Him. She's close to Him, and just she's hanging on every word. She's listening, and it's 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 a it's a it's a constant verb of, of action. This is what she's doing. And so she's spending her time. Jesus is in her home. The Lord is in her home. And what does she do? She gets up alongside of Jesus, sits at his feet. Interestingly, this is the position of a disciple. This is the type of thing that rabbis would not allow normally. And sometimes we'll hear arguments that Christianity squashes women. It's the exact opposite we'll see this woman assumes the position of a disciple and Jesus vindicates her position as a disciple. One of the things Martha's going to suggest is she shouldn't be sitting at your feet. She should be in the kitchen. And Jesus says no. This woman is given complete access to Jesus. She's sitting at His feet. She's hanging on every word. She's listening to the words coming out of His mouth. She's learning from Him. Martha, on the other hand, is drawn away with much serving. And And that is key. The ESV again has distracted, but the Greek is the idea of drawn away. And, and here's the point. She too wanted to hear Jesus' words. It's not as though she decided I won't listen to Jesus right now. I'm going to go prepare a meal. You, you only get distracted from things you want to do. If, if I go to your house and you're, 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 you have something on the TV or on the radio and I'm not interested in it, I don't speak of being distracted from it. You're only distracted, you're only drawn away from those things which you want to pay attention to. So presumably, Martha, as well as Mary, wants to hear what Jesus has to say. And one sister is devoted, sitting at Jesus' feet. The other gets distracted with much serving. She's drawn away with much serving. That's the setting, okay? Now, the focus here is on Jesus. Presumably, some of the disciples perhaps were in this house, and certainly not all of them could be housed here. But Luke just wants to narrow it down to these three people. The two who talk to each other, Jesus and Martha, and Mary who serves as the example. So We've got this sort of triangulation going on. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, s- soaking up His Word. Martha wanting to some extent to listen, but being distracted, drawn away with much serving. And what happens then is, is this, this creates a response in Martha. In verse... Um, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, this is remarkable. This is remarkable. Martha has has become distracted with much serving. We're going to learn in a minute. She's agitated. She's anxious and troubled. Jesus is in her house. The Lord, the one she calls Lord, is in her house. She knows who he is. And he's speaking and Mary and presumably others are listening and she doesn't, you know, walk into the room and try to get Mary's attention psst, psst. which perhaps as an older sister she might be able to do is the house manager might be her prerogative she doesn't do that presumably she interrupts Jesus while he's teaching to complain to him and then tell Jesus what to do that's what she does this is this is bold I think it's somewhat understandable. Jesus' response is tender, and so there might be a sense where she's come to her wits' end. She's, she's so exasperated. She's got so many plates spinning, physically and, and metaphorically, that, that she doesn't know what to do. But she comes in, she interrupts Jesus. Jesus is speaking, teaching, people are listening. And she comes in, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? And then I'll tell you how to fix it. Tell her to help me. I want to notice at least three things from her complaint. First, she has the audacity to indict the Lord's compassion. Just think of that question. Here is the Son of God who left heaven, come into the world, suffering, dealing with people like us, setting aside His glory, setting aside His privilege. But Martha... Is doing the dishes by herself. And so she comes to the Lord. Do you even care? Do you do you even know how how much I gotta do in the kitchen? (laughs) And Jesus, we'll get to this, is so kind and gentle. I mean, do I care? I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die for you. Yes, I care. But one of the things we learn from this is that when our focus is off, it starts to center on us. And when our focus is on us, it's all about everything revolving around us. Notice point B here. Her focus is on herself. I mean, look at that. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Me of all people. I'm alone in here. This is about me. This is about Martha. My sister left me alone to serve. Presumably, she's serving, one would think, for her honored guests, but her attention is on herself. Her attention is on herself, and that belies the fact, in point C, that her service is not genuine. For service is not genuine. Now, make no mistake, the New Testament commends hospitality. There are spiritual gifts of service. But, but listen to Peter's instruction in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9-11. through Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter makes it clear. We are to show hospitality. We're to serve one another. We're to do it without grumbling. And we're to do it not in reliance of our own strength, but in reliance of the strength that God supplies. Martha is not doing that. She's exasperated. She's troubled. She's self-focused. What might have initially started as an act of love and service for the Lord has become all about her. And now, as she notices, and she would have assumed as the house manager, as the older sister, that her her younger sister would would chip in and help. But oh no, she's doing the work all by herself. And as she focuses on herself, and as as her thinking gets skewed, She begins to to, to boil up with the apparent injustice of all this. And that's why she's going to the Lord. I mean, if the matter were simply, I need help, the bread's burning. She could just come in and and, and get a hold of, of Mary and I need your hand. But why does she address the Lord? An injustice has taken place. And she wants to be vindicated. And so she has the audacity to ask the Lord, do you even care? And then... She tells him what to do. Here's the Lord. She, here's what you need to do. Tell her to help me. Set this straight. This is wrong. We'll spend the rest of our time looking at the Lord's loving rebuke. Now with all of this, I, I truly believe Martha is just overwhelmed. She loses it. And we all have a tendency to do that when we feel sorry for ourselves. We make ourselves the center. We absolutize things. We ask silly questions like, "Do you even care?" Nobody loves me, you know. I get it. And Jesus doesn't blast her. This is a disciple after all. This is one of his beloved daughters. And he says, "Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary." Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. And here in our Lord's answer, we get the answer to the question we started this morning with. What is is that one thing for the Christian? What is that one central principle? What is the organizing principle, the most important thing for us to order our lives around? So notice first, Jesus speaks gently and tenderly to Martha. I, I don't think she fully even meant what she said or even understood the significance and implications of what she's saying here. We sitting on the sidelines can get it. I mean, but in her confusion and in her frustration, she's questioning whether this one who would die for her cares for her, and this one that she calls Lord, she's giving commands to. Jesus, a gentle Messiah, according to Isaiah 42:3, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Doesn't break her. He does rebuke her. There's a rebuke here, but it is a gentle and loving rebuke. Martha, Martha. And then he identifies the source of her problem. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And that's really the issue here. And I understand the Lord's diagnosis. Martha is speaking from anxiety and a troubled heart. What is the cause of that anxiety and troubled heart? She's got all of her attention distracted to 20 different things. The modern equivalent would be you got to get the bread and the table set and the glasses poured and the soups on and dessert and everything. And she's lost sight of the central critical thing, the necessary thing. And that is the reason why she's anxious and troubled. So so why does this matter answering the question of what's most important? What's the central thing? Because apparently if you lose sight of that central thing, it will ruin all the other things. Make make no mistake, um, meals are important. Somebody's got to do the dishes. Somebody's got to cook the food. Make no mistake, these are good things. We've read in First Peter how they should be done in the right attitude as acts of service and love. But if they're done, not in the strength that the Lord supplies, but done in your own strength, they will begin to unravel. Martha here is not experiencing the joy that comes from service. Martha's not experiencing the joy of my sister Mary is, is listening to the Lord, but I'm choosing to serve the Lord this way and I'm just going to show my love for Him this way. No, she, it's, it's, it's warping back and twisting back to herself. Because our Lord's point out she's lost sight of the one thing that is necessary. And get that. Food? We need food. But one thing is necessary. One thing is central. And we've already been told by Luke that Martha has been pulled away, drawn away, distracted from this one thing. So Jesus basically says, no, you don't have a just complaint, Martha. No, nothing wrong has been done to you. Rather, you've done something wrong. You've lost sight of what is central. You've lost sight of what is most important. One thing, here's your blank, is necessary. Now get that. What Jesus is saying is one one thing. If there's only one thing you do today, if there's only one thing you accomplish this week, here is Jesus saying, more important than food, more important than showing hospitality to your guests, here is something that is central and necessary. What is it? Mary has chosen to feed on Christ's Word. There's a word play here that sort of comes across in English, comes across more fully in Greek, when Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion. The portion of food. We're still talking about a meal. So get this. Martha is consumed with preparing a meal for Jesus. Her sister Mary is consumed with receiving a meal from Jesus. That's that's the word play. So Martha ignores, is drawn away from, is distracted from the meal Jesus is giving. And consequently, even her, her service, which I think in other respects could be good and right, gets ruined. Mary is chosen to feed on Christ's word. Now, this, of course, echoes back a text from Deuteronomy that's already been quoted in Luke. Remember in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus has not eaten or, or drank for 40 days, and he's in the wilderness, and Satan tempts him and commands him to make the, the stones into bread? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 3. Man does not live by bread alone. What does man live by? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. That, that's, that's the central and important thing. And it's not just central and important for the unsaved. That That is the necessary thing for you and for me and Christians. And if we miss that, if we get distracted from that with many things... Those many things will be, not become acts of service, not become, not become the avenues of us to act in faith, but rather they'll become a burden. We'll become anxious. Our focus will get focused on ourselves. Mary has chosen to feed on Christ's Word. And then notice Jesus' wonderful promise here at the end. This will not be taken away from her. The implication is this. I'm sure many of you had wonderful meals and special foods over Christmas and New Year's. I know in my household we did, we have a tradition of making crab cakes on New Year's. And so yesterday I made our crab cakes and I like crab cakes. Guess what? They're gone. I enjoyed it, but they're gone. They're not, they're not staying with me. Well, actually, I, they might be staying with me, but um, not in the way that I would like, right? So you have an enjoyable meal and you have an enjoyable meal. The next day, that enjoyable meal and all the pleasure you got from it, except maybe in memory, is gone. It doesn't abide, except in ways that we wish it wouldn't. Jesus is saying this, this meal that he's giving Mary will stay with her. The time you and I spend sitting at Christ's feet in his word will endure. I mean, turn, turn back. He's, he's echoing principles from, from just a chapter or two before. Turn back to chapter nine. No, not chapter nine, chapter eight. Chapter eight. Remember the parable of the sower? He ends the parable of the sower in verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 11, he begins to explain it. The parable is this The seed is the word of God. This is good. We've got a one-to-one relationship. Mary has been sitting, listening to the words of Jesus. The Word of God. Seeds the Word of God. The ones that hear in the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts. So we know already in Luke, you can hear God's Word and not have it abide. You can have it taken away. You can hear it. You can sit. I mean, you know this. You go to church. You, you're reading your Bible, and you're distracted. You're thinking about other things. You're not paying attention. You're not focused. You're not treating it with the importance that it has. And later in the day, it's gone. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've talked to someone, and you know, or what other people, and you know, what were you reading today? I don't even remember. The seed can be taken. But jump down to verse 15. As for that in the good soil, there are those that hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Mary has, has recognized the priority that the Lord God Himself is in my house. He's talking. The one who is the Word is talking. And I, there's a space at His feet. I think I could get in there. And she just sits there. She's not talking, she's listening hanging on every word he says and Jesus says no Martha Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary and 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 this meal that she is receiving from me it will not be taken from her it will bear fruit for years to come so that that's the story what what's the application for us well I think it's it's pretty clear Jesus answer is is Clear to the question we asked at the beginning. What 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 is the one thing that's necessary for you and for me? And especially in a world with many distracting things. We need to start. We need to find time. We need to find time first to draw near to the Lord and his word. I mean, even right now, I mean, before we get too too hard on, on jumping on Martha and and and, and vilifying her. I mean, I, I have no doubt there are some here even now who planning the, the after-church luncheon is what you've been thinking about. How often do, do we let distractions... I'm so busy, I don't have time to read the Bible today. I have so many things going on, we can't make it to church this Sunday. You know, Martin Luther famously once um, was talking to a friend of his. It was Martin Luther's pattern and practice to to spend an hour a day in prayer and Bible reading. And one week, he had a particularly heavy week of things to do and speaking engagements and teaching. And And his friend asked him, so Martin, are you still planning on reading your Bible and praying for an hour every day? To which Martin Luther said, oh no. With a week this busy, I need three hours a day. That is the right attitude. Sleep isn't the one thing necessary. Eating isn't the one thing necessary. This is the one thing that's necessary, and and I know just from talking with many of you, many of us have tried starting with Bible reading programs. Um, that's that's a great pattern. There's a reason why so many Christians throughout the ages have started their days with reading God's word and prayer. We get that from passages like these, because because understand this again. When we understand how this works, when you look at the things you have to do and conclude, I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for reading God's Word. I don't have time to gather with the, with God's people. It's just too busy. Understand that when that happens, inevitably, those things that you do instead will become more burdensome and distracting. Because Martha was pulled away from the central thing, she has become anxious and troubled, right? So what could have been a joy delight. I'm baking bread for the Lord of the universe. I mean, how many people get to say that? It's, it's become something focused on herself. And, and that self-focus and that anxiety led her to question the love and compassion of her Lord and to give Him orders. We, we may think there's too many things for me to do, but when we do that, we're going to corrupt those other things we do instead. One thing is necessary. One thing is central. And, and we, I want to challenge you as we enter into this new year to look at your life and evaluate whether you have, whether I have ordered it such that it is evident to anyone who would look at how I spend my time and what I do that, that this and drawing near to Christ in His Word, that is the one. If we only do one thing, we do that. If we, only do, if we only have time for one thing, that's what we do. Or is church, Bible reading and prayer, the first thing gets snipped off. If I have time for everything, I'll do that. Well, You see the fruit it's going to bear in the anxiety and the trouble, which sadly for some reinforces it. Well, it's so obvious I didn't have time because even when I tried to do the things, I was so anxious and troubled, I never would have had time for reading God. No, that's not how that works. And that might mean making other decisions about what you do. John Piper um, speaks of how he liked to have people over after church, but he wanted to keep his wife free from anxiety and trouble. So they'd have biblical hospitality after church and they'd eat soup out of paper bowls. Because he didn't want to give his wife the temptation of, Of I gotta leave early, I gotta set the table, I gotta make sure I get the thing in the oven. They'd eat soup from cans out of paper plates and bowls so they could both have hospitality and be unfocused on Sunday morning. This is these are the types of things we can do as we as we look at that central. I just want to challenge you to, to consider that resolution and consider the good fruit for yourself the lack of anxiety, the lack of trouble. If you will first order your life around Christ and His Word and then move on to do other things. So some people have thought that this is a passage simply saying if, if we could just meditate on God's Word and do nothing else, that would be wonderful. The, the early monastic movements of the 3rd and 4th century are founded upon that idea. But, but if you read Luke, that, that's... that. Can't possibly be the case. It's not as though Mary would have sat here indefinitely because in Luke's gospel, it's so clear hearing always leads to doing, always leads to doing. And if you spend time and you start with Christ and His Word, you will know what to do, and with God's strength, you'll be able to go and do it. But the challenge for us is do, do we act like do, if someone were to do an audit, if you're in my life, would it be clear that Christ and His Word are the central point? Now, and I want to make one other caveat lest you think, well, Pastor, that's easy for you to say. We, we freed you financially so you can just study the Bible all week. This is a challenge for me as well. The challenge for me is when I, when I come to a text, is to immediately jump into preparing a sermon rather than sitting and hearing it myself. To put it as my, my friend Dave sometimes says it, the challenge is to read the text and think first and foremost, oh, that'll be great for them to hear. Now that's, that can be my challenge. To, to, to come to the Bible and immediately, because I'm expected to bring a message on Sunday, to immediately move to that. Instead of being Mary, and what does the Lord have for me? how How is this supposed to affect me? And what is this supposed to do for me? So please please don't think I'm immune from this challenge as well. And sadly, there have been weeks and sermons where it's mostly about preparing a message and not being merry. But I I trust that the Lord will give us grace. Luke's put this here to introduce the next ten chapters. Remember I told you that Jesus' teaching is highlighted in the next ten chapters. The miracles are put to the side. And He wants the Theophilus and He wants all of us to adopt Mary's position. And as Jesus is about to teach, next week He's going to teach us how to pray. That we would adopt Mary's position. That we would listen. That we would get those distractions out of it. We'd guard ourselves from being pulled and distracted away by other things that we think are really important. But they're not the one necessary thing. There is one thing that is necessary and that is feeding on Christ's Word. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to call the worship team up as we prepare to sing a song in preparation for communion. Lord God, we have seen in the mirror of Your Word Your priorities for Your people. And we have so many things that we think are important. So many things that we think are necessary. And yet, Your Son, our Lord, has made it clear there is one thing and only one thing that is indispensable and necessary. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us now as we prepare to draw near to Your table, to draw near with undistracted, undivided minds, Lord. Your Word is food, and we are about to partake of a symbolic meal which points to the sustenance we receive from Your Son. So Lord, I just pray that by Your Spirit, You would help our minds to be undivided, focused. That we would draw near sincerely. We would draw near with the right priorities. And Lord, if changes need to be made in our lives, that You would give us the grace and the faith to do that. To not walk away and forget what we look like, but to apply this principle. In Jesus' name, Amen.